Did you know one in five Americans live with a mental health problem? <laughs> that means unless you live in a cave, you know someone personally dealing with these issues. So join us and our special guests as we answer your questions, share real stories, and work to pull the curtain back on how stigma impacts our everyday lives and our communities. We believe that making a real impact happens best with candid conversations, laughter, and tears. We are your hosts, Jennifer Teague and Josh Moore, and this is Impact Stigma. Good evening, afternoon, or whatever it is where you're at. Hey there, Josh. How are you? It's going pretty good. How are you? Uh, you know, going. So Trucking along through all this craziness that everybody's having to deal with. I know. My kids have uh, drove me nuts. I know mm-hmm. I've said that before, but... You yes, know. I was not made to be a homeschooling mom, and I don't believe that my children were made to be schooled at home either. I don't so. know. My son likes it. No. You know why? He can sit there in his underwear and just put on a shirt and be good. <laughs> my daughter actually likes it okay but it's been very frustrating i don't really know what day it is or what's going on or, or much of anything so you know yeah so recently my kids are now both in high school and they came to us and they were like look guys you know we're old now can we have a bedtime past eight o'clock this eight o'clock stuff's gotta go and i was like all right i'll give you till 10 you got till 10 but if i come downstairs and you're in the bathroom at 6 o'clock when I go get ready to go in there, then it's back to 8. Nice. I know it. So every day I've been down there, they've been completely ready but passed out in different areas of the house. So they get up, get completely ready, and then just fall back to sleep. Yeah, it's just... That's great. Yeah, for sure. But they're doing it. Well, you know, I just want to say to everybody and all of our listeners out there that I have a great, big, huge, mad respect for those parents that have been homeschooling for quite some time because I just don't even know how you do it. So y'all are rock stars. Yeah. For sure. All right. Our guest today, you guys, I mean, I'm just going to say this is the very first time that we have actually had someone from the outside of Frontier Health as a guest on Impact Stigma. So um, our guest actually works with Inside Alliance here in Johnson City, Tennessee, and I am going to make a big deal out of it because he is somebody that I personally owe a huge, huge, huge thank you to because basically if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. So I have this gr- the opportunity to work with such an amazing organization all because he just decided to say I might be a good option. I am very honored to introduce our guest and welcome Jason Abernathy to Impact Sigma. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you all for having me today. So I think I'll change things. We'll change things up this time and do something a little fun. You want to throw a curveball? I'm going to throw some curveballs. Here we go. So people get the better understanding of who you are. We have developed a few hardball questions. All right. Extremely. They're very hard questions. All right. Bring it. So if you could compare yourself with any animal, which would it be and why? All right. So I'm going to have to say grizzly bear. I mean, y'all can see me. <laughs> Look at all this hair. I got the beard. I got that the ponytail. It's like a chia pet going on in this. I, like I get older. I like it. The eyebrows are crawling out. But now my wife, uh, she calls me her grizzly bear, calls me Grizz. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so I'm going right. to have to go with uh, with the grizzly bear. Do you do like I do and scratch your bear on, uh, your bear back on the walls? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, got to yeah. do that. Or, or you got to have them little yeah. scratcher things, too, one of them little extender rods. Yes. It's like the best thing since sliced bread. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. We've got two bears in the studio today, guys. Now, I can tell a lot by a person. Now, this next question. Here we go. Now, what is your favorite food? Not favorite style of food, but what is your favorite thing to eat? Pizza. Okay. Yes. Yeah, pizza. Okay, what's on it? Man, I love meats. I mean, look at me. Yeah. Look at this over here. I mean, I like meats. 
I like let's let's go ahead and get an ambulance on standby. We're fixing to go to the hospital with it. <laughs> Throw some vegetables on there just so I feel better about it. Well, cheese. You, know, you gotta have some. Yeah, cheese. like some green peppers. Yeah. You gotta get that whole that whole dairy group going, but onions, but yeah. green peppers, mushrooms, and then yeah. lots of meat. I'll just kill it. Just go ahead and kill it. <laughs> there you go. I like it all. That's terrific. I am not picky. At least I'll eat anything. Yeah. Yes. I like pizza too. For Except sure. I got up as big as I am, I I'll eat anything. Yeah, Except we've gone over this. Now, you know what? I don't, I've don't. i never been a real fan of tomatoes myself, but they're starting to grow on me some. I'm getting a little bit better with that. Or my what? son hates tomatoes. Maybe it's a guy thing. I, I don't, don't like know. tomatoes, and I don't like lettuce. That's yeah, I don't my, know. That's my food's food. I don't, know. And I don't take food away from my food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he always tells me that's the food that my food eats. I'm not eating that food. Yep. Oh, I never thought about that. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's solid. You can steal it. Yeah. Steal it. Okay. I'm steal it. Yes. Hey, listen, everything on here today is stolen. Yeah. You know, the things that I've been given, somebody gave to me freely. That's right. So, you know, nothing original here. All right. Well, we know that you have actually worked with Inside Alliance as part of the uh, Lifeline Peer Project of Tennessee since August 2013. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. And that you also serve as the Region 1 Lifeline Peer Project Coordinator. I do. Awesome. And... I know that you have been, one of my favorite things is a certified peer recovery specialist since March of 2014. Yes. Very important, very important role in recovery for sure. So now that we know everything, and I mean everything about you, because, you know, it's We're going to drop the mic. We're done. It's all been uncovered. Y'all made this easy. (laughs) Before you were actually with Inside Alliance at all, I was going to say, can you kind of enlighten us on like what you did before that and a little bit more background about you and some details about your actual roles at Insight Alliance. Sure. So when I got out of high school in 1992, I went in the Marine Corps, and I served four years in the United States Marine Corps. Thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you all. So I came out of high school, went in the Marine Corps for four years. I didn't, you know, I was in the infantry. I didn't have any college. You know, lucky I made it through high school. I think they just wanted to get rid of me. They're like, let's just get this boy on out of here. Uh, you know, we're, <laughs> we, we've had enough of him. So, I, you know, I had enough uh, foresight, I guess, to, to, to know that if I went to college, I'd have a whole lot of fun, and, and that I would probably end up with my father killing me for wasting a bunch of money. So I did the next best thing, went into service. Spent four years in the Marine Corps. I was honorably discharged in 1996. And coming out of the service, I did like a lot of, of folks, you know, men and women coming out of the service that didn't have a college degree. I went into law enforcement. That's right. So, I had a lot of friends do that, too. Yeah. So, you know, it, um, my father was in law enforcement, and uh, so I kind of grew up around it. So I, I made that decision and um, spent 16 and a half years in law enforcement. And then uh, once I left the law enforcement world, um, left policing, I went into the position I am now, which is the Lifeline Coordinator for Region 1. First off, you know, Inside Alliance, which is my home base, is the Washington County Prevention Coalition, Anti-Drug Coalition, um, they're called by different names. Uh, initially, it was Washington County Anti-Drug. And they said, hey, somebody said, that sounds like a SWAT team. So let's just <laughs> go ahead and change that up. And, and you know, made, made sense. Because, you know, when we're talking about stigma, which mm-hmm. we're going to do here in a little bit, I, I, I'm, I'm gathering. Um, yeah, that's what we do here, typically. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, impact stigma. That makes sense. See, I picked up on that. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Good job naming it. Right. So, you know, it's... Uh, they changed the name to Inside Alliance, which, again, is the Washington County uh, Prevention Coalition. And uh, that's my home base. And the Prevention Coalition, you know, works a lot with, with youth and, and, I mean, just folks in general, but trying to prevent 
do prevention work around risky behaviors, you know, alcohol, drugs, tobacco, smoking, you know, just any number of things, trying to do prevention and early interventions, right. you know, to, to make the community happier and healthier. So when Lifeline came about, Lifeline, the Lifeline Peer Project started in the summer of 2013, and it is a a position. It's, it was grant funded in the in the beginning. We've been in the budget for a while now. As a you know, I think after three years we became a line item, if you will. I think that's what right. they call that. But it's through the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. So they and you uh, sometimes work with Frontier Health, right? Yes. You guys work as a resource for right. us, or we work for a resource for you. Well, I can't yeah. remember. You'll have to enlighten me. It kind of it kind of goes both ways. Okay, you great. Know, uh, in the in the nonprofit world, you know, with the the coalitions. You know, there's a lot of in-kind partnerships that go on. So I do, you know, peer support groups for for Frontier, like through Turning Point, mm-hmm. and um, have done a lot of different things through the years. You know, like the Region One Planning Council, where we meet here in this in this building. You know, the Mental Health Planning Council, part of that. But but you know, just doing those in-kind partnerships to kind of you know trade off and supplement services without you know charging. So um, and that, and that's kind of like the basis of Lifeline. You know. With Region 1 is the upper eight counties of Northeast Tennessee. When we started out, it was one of these deals where we're building a plane while we're flying it. You know, Commissioner Varney at the time, you know, with the opioid epidemic, they wanted to get some boots on the ground in the yeah. regions across the state, you know, to try to address the addiction issue and and to see what was out there for resources, you know, for recovery. Uh, what did it look like? What do we have? What do we not have? So, you know, there was initially 10 coordinators across the state, and we've grown over the last several years, um, we've gotten some some more lifeliners now, some hybrid lifeliners. Uh, we have uh, now. What's a hybrid lifeliner? They kind of cover. You know, I've got eight counties. Uh-huh. I'm one person, and but really, I'm pretty lucky because like Region Two, they've got 16 counties. So the hybrids that have come on, they kind of cover some of those outliers for us. Like for me, like Hancock County, mm-hmm. where it's the furthest county right. in my region. You know, it's it's kind of hard, and we want to see that everybody gets plenty of coverage and. You know, we want to provide the support that we can for folks and, and what they need. So they brought some of those on. We've had, like, the navigators, the recovery navigators. Um, I think they're through Frontier Health, yeah. you know, which they actually go in to the ERs when folks, when you have an accidental overdose, and they actually go in and provide that peer support. Right. But, yeah, so, you know, 10, 10 of us across the state build a plane while you're flying it. And we just kind of got out here and we saw what there was and what there was not for recovery. I've started a lot of meetings through the years. We... Uh, travel around, we do a lot of speaking engagements, you know, share our experience, strength, and hope. You know, we're all people, each of us are people in long-term recovery from either addiction or a mental health issue. And uh, so, you know, we have that lived experience in that field and in that realm. So, you know, they just wanted to, to get some folks out there and, and see what we could do to help. With our presentations, you know, we also, you know, we go to all, all different kinds of places. I've been to schools, I've been to colleges. I've been to churches. You know, we have the faith-based initiative right. through the state. So, you know, the Lifeliners, we help out with that, help out getting these these things set up where we're trying to, uh, you know, provide education for folks in the faith community. Because, you know, a lot of times when somebody's when somebody's hurting, one of the first places they'll go will be to a church or a faith organization. And if folks don't know what to do, you know, that's kind of a helpless helpless thing all around. Right. So, yeah. you know, we want to provide that, um, that support. But, you know, trying to... Uh, Reduce stigma is a big thing for us. You know, putting a face and a voice to recovery and showing folks that recovery is possible and that there is hope. So as a CPRS, a certified peer recovery specialist, that kind of went along with the position. 
And, you know, you can, when you can sit down with somebody who is, has walked a mile in your shoes, if you will, it, it just really, it really seems to hit home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This episode of Impact Stigma, we are focusing on National Recovery Month. So for all of our listeners out there, we want you to know that if you are inspired at any time during this podcast to reach out for help or feel triggered in any way, please don't hesitate to call our 24-7 crisis hotline at 877-928-9062 and someone will always be there to help you. Also, if you have been a past listener, you know we are all about candid and sometimes humorous conversations about the stigma surrounding mental behavioral health issues. So please know that this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment for mental and behavioral health issues. If you do need assistance, please visit the Frontier Health website at FrontierHealth.org for more information. Hello, everyone. Like what you're hearing so far? Well, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button right now. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you, and we greatly appreciate your support. So let's get back to the show. All right. Now, Jason, we have been talking recently, and you shared with me your personal experience with recovery. I know this is a topic that really needs to be heard. So will you share with our listeners what you shared with me, please? Sure. Anytime I share my story, you know, there's a lot of war stories, and there's just a whole lot of junk, and it's just... There's really no point in going into all that. You know, it we was understand. what it was. And um, while some of that may be funny and some of it may be really sad, you know, what I was like and what ha- happened and what I'm like now is kind of what I like to stick to. So, you know, for me, starting out at a young age, I never I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like I was a part of the group. I always felt apart from. And um, through this journey of recovery and looking back, you know, and, and doing some self-reflection and some inventory, and, you know, I, I figured out – it was apparent to me that there were, there were some issues as a, as a, as a child where I, you know, I had some depression. I didn't know it. Right. You know? So that coupled with, you know, I was freckle faced and had buck teeth and, you know, we were talking earlier about getting picked on and there, there was some of that. You right. Know? So I just mm-hmm. never, never felt like I was a part of. And I remember the first time that, um, that I got drunk and I thought, man, everything is going to be right in my world because mm-hmm. now I had a solution. You know, and, and and at thirteen, you know, that's when a, you first started. Yes, it was amazing. I was like, yes, now I am no longer a square peg going into a round hole. It's either round and round or square and square. Mom always said she felt ten feet tall and bulletproof. Yeah, there's that. Yeah. There was there was plenty of that later on, yeah. and that goes along with the war stories. And like I said, we won't get into all that mess. <laughs> no, no, we'll no. have y'all on here all day. <laughs> but you know, the the not belonging and um and again for the first time, I really really felt like I fit and I felt like um, everything's going to be all right, you know, and, and starting young like that. And I'll just go ahead and say this, you know, I, I never was like an, an everyday all the time drinker, more of a binge drinker. And that's actually what kept me, one of the things that kept me going for so long because I thought, you know, there's no way I can have a problem or be addicted to this because I don't do it all the time. Right. But, um, it definitely made an impact. So I said back at the beginning of this thing, they were ready to get rid of me in high school. I, I actually did okay. I mean, I wasn't that great in my studies, but I, I wasn't a whole lot of trouble. So, yeah, I tried to tried to stay under the radar, tried not to draw too much attention to myself. But, you know, I just I kind of kind of floated around, and, and from time to time I would check out a reality, and, and things were good. It made things good. You know, when I went into service, when I went in the Marine Corps after high school, you know, when they issued me my gear, it's like boots, check, 
rifle check, bag, you know, backpack check, mm-hmm. house pack check, whatever. Feelings wasn't on that list. So I didn't like to talk about feelings. Yeah. The alcohol helped me to stay away from that. You know, it just kind of made me, made me feel better, and then I didn't feel all them feelings. So going into service, I mean, a lot of times. Um, Would you say that your drinking was more of a numbing from issues that were underlying that you hadn't addressed, or was there a trauma that you experienced, or was there something that you felt like started your drinking, or was it just something that just ha- kind of happened? I think it was more just like the underlying stuff, you know, the not yeah. not feeling a part of and apart from and, and just feeling different and then, the, you know, the, the depression and stuff, so. But yeah, going in going in the military, uh, a lot of drinking, you know, a lot of drinking because there ain't a whole lot else to do, right? You know, so when I when I went in the service, I went in with my best friend. We went in on a buddy program, and and long story short, about eight months after we'd gone in, he got killed in a training accident. Mm. You know, and I'm I'm away from home. We got we got split up after boot camp. We went to school of infantry together, and then uh, he went to Camp Lejeune, and I went to Norfolk, Virginia. I was with a security force unit up there i was ultimately infantry i came back to the infantry later at lejeune but but my buddy he uh he went on to lejeune and you know here i am at my first duty station i'm away from home i'm homesick and i'm not about telling anybody that yeah. you know because you, you got to be a man right mm-hmm. you can't handle feelings like i said feelings wasn't on that on that supply list i got a call one night in the barracks you know from my dad on on a pay phone and for those of y'all out there listening and don't know what that is look it up you know, you put coins in it and had cords attached and everything. <laughs> but, you know, I got that call, and my dad telling me that my friend had been, been shot, and it and it changed me. Couldn't talk to anybody. Didn't want to talk to anybody. You know, really let them know how I was feeling. So uh, I had a solution, you know, and it was in alcohol. And then, you know, I go through four years of the Marine Corps, and, and I said earlier, you know, I was honorably discharged. It wasn't from lack of trying not to be because, you know, I, I got in some scrapes and got in some mess and, you know, did some of the things we typically do, drinking and fighting and raising cane and, and all that. But uh, but for the most part, you know, I, I made it through unscathed and, and, and did well. You know, that was one thing throughout um, throughout my life. I've, I've typically, when I got focused on something, I, I would do well with it. But I come out of I come out of the service, and like I said a little bit a little while ago, I went in, into law enforcement, and it was another perfect place for an alcoholic like me because we didn't talk about feelings Mm -hmm. you know there are things that i wish i could unsee and i and undo because there was a lot of stuff through the years you know and it's just i tell people often i've got this this head full of bubble gum you know it's just all this stuff and while my military time was pretty pretty peaceful um I, i enlisted you know when the first gulf war was going I enlisted between my junior and senior year, but, you know, it, it was over. So my military time was peaceful, but, you know, a lot of my trauma came just in the law world. You know, a lot seeing a lot of death and just, you know, folks beat up and, and domestic violence and just a lot of a lot of sad things. Everything just taking its toll. Right, you know. But again, hey, boots check, bulletproof vest check, cruiser check, rifle check, you know, uh, shotgun, pistol, all this other check, check, check. Feelings wasn't on that list, so I'm like, cool. Here I am, and I and I bought into what I call the big lie. You know, suck it up, go on. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. Which I know that today they call it stoicism. I didn't know that word for a long time. You know, I was uh, I was hung up in that. I didn't want anybody to think that I was weak. So, uh, you know, I I didn't drink when I worked. I did my deal. You know, did the job, and when I'd come home, I mean, it's what we did. 
Yeah. That's how you air it out. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, that's how you decompress. Did it become like a dependent? Yeah. Uh, like I said, there was some very traumatic things that I went through in the law world to where I, I started leaning more and more on the drink. And um, Did you all have any, I'm assuming there probably wasn't anything at the time for you all as far as resources goes? I, you know, I think they had an EAP, but you know, who's going to go to EAP? Employee mm-hmm. assistance program. You know, who's going to do that? You know, people will know something. You know, I don't want people to think anything's wrong with right, me. Right, right. Right. And then, you know, we They're not like that anymore, but they were back in the day. Right. You don't want to really talk to your buddies. I mean, there was a, there was a couple people I could kind of open up to, but I never really, really let anybody in. You know, I built walls through the years and at some point they get so high that nobody can get in, nobody can get out. Not and, even uh, you, right? Not even me. That's right. But I, I hit a point after I'd been in law enforcement about three, a little over three years. I was involved in a in a fatal shooting, and that just really kind of, that kind of, that really, it, it turned things for me. Yeah, I, I didn't do any kind of a debrief or anything. I, I I gave the typical, you know, I'm fine. How you doing? I'm good. It's all good. Oh, I'm yeah. fine. And, and all the while just kind of breaking down inside to the point where I finally, uh, I just kind of hit a brick wall, and and through that, um, I had some people that cared about me and, and and loved on me, and and got me hooked up with with the right folks, and and I went through a critical incident stress debrief about four years after that incident, and uh, it really it really helped out. What is that? Basically, it's a peer to peer support. You know, guys and gals, fellow law enforcement officers that have been through traumatic events like shootings or you know Sid's deaths, just any number of traumatic events you know things that that we grow used to folks out here in the, in the world that don't do that that would be horrified by you know we, we we turn the switch off right you know and that stuff it just kind of builds up so you know just sitting around it, you know it's kind of like a recovery group like a 12-step group almost you know you sit around with people that have been there and done that we validate each other you know that it's okay to feel you know it's okay i mean i, I sat in a room with other grown men and women that were like me, that were just broken or felt broken and, and just, gosh, the relief. So a- after that, you know, I thought I need to be a part of this. So I was going to say, is that your first inspiration for right. where you kind of ended up? Right. So, you know, I um, got involved with the Tennessee Public Safety Network, which I st- am still a part of, have been with that for about 15 years now and, uh, and doing debriefings because just like the peer support I do today in sharing my experience, strength, and hope with others, it's helped to help them to see that they're not alone. So, you know, I'd love to tell you that after that, it all, it was all good, but it wasn't. Lots more drinking for a lot of years. And then, you know, we found out in December or Christmas day of 2004, my wife and I found out we were pregnant. And I remember thinking, I've got to get sober for this, this girl, for my daughter. You know, now, earlier on, backing up just a little bit, my wife had pointed out to me that I had a drinking problem. And I thought to myself, yeah, I got a drinking problem. You're on my butt about my drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can say that now. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm safe right here with y'all. She might she might throttle me later, but probably not. <laughs> but, um, so, you know. The way had, you talk about your wife, I'm pretty sure she knows how much you love yeah, her. So, sure. that's good. You're going to get me tore up. You're going to get the eyes leaking right here, Jennifer. <laughs> but. I'm good at that. Yes. So, you know, I had kind of played around a little bit with recovery, but I thought, oh, I really got to do this. And and I'll just be honest with you, that wasn't enough. You know, I was still in and out, back and forth. And I, and I finally got to a point where I'd, I'd put the plug in the jug, if you will, but I hurt my back. So, you know, I was working, hurt my back. So with that, you know, out came the script pad, and, and I found I found a new way. 
Mm-hmm. See, I'm an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict, right? So I can take these prescriptions. Two different things. Right. In our head. Right. right? Now, uh, let me just throw this out there, y'all. Alcohol is a drug. You know, it's just a legal one. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Know? Again, people around me, my wife, trying to point out, you know, it's not it's not a different thing. And I'm like, well, but, you know, um, sometimes we're too close to people to, be, to really be able to hear it. Those little painkillers, man, they took me down a deep, dark, dark hole. And, um, you know, I, I heard it said that the darkness will take you farther than you ever want to go and keep you longer than you ever plan to stay. And it got dark. But, you know, eventually the light came back out. So that, that's, kind of, that's kind of it in a nutshell. You know, that was over a period of, of many years. Where um, was your aha moment? I think that's my biggest question when we talk about recovery. That, is Where was that moment that you were, you know, yeah. what was your ready now? you made that change? Well, you know, there, there came a point where, again, I was just, I was doing things that you, you, people just wouldn't normally do. You know, you just don't, you don't do it. And it all came to light. You know, I had people through the years that knew I had a problem with, with the drink. Folks didn't really know about the medications. You know, sometimes those are easier to hide. Well, for, for, for a time, we'll say they're easier to hide, and then it just becomes very apparent. You know, I got myself in a pickle. So it all came out. It all came to light, and I was like, it was like a relief, because, you know, where I had, okay, depending on which Jason I'm going to be today, okay, mm-hmm. if I'm going to be the good Jason, I'm going to be around Josh. If I'm going to be the wild Jason, I'm going to be around Jennifer. It was like, it, it was just like a juggling match. You know, it was always just, okay, which, who, who am I going to be? How are we going to be? What's this, that? You know, and so when it, all, when it all came to a head and it was out there, it was a relief because I thought, okay, I can't hide it anymore. And there's nothing, there's nowhere to go but up. You know, I had a well-whipped rear end, and we'll say that, G-rated version right there. Um, but I had a WWA, and I was sick and tired <laughs> like of being sick and tired. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's addiction. It's a, it's a full-time job. You know, just the, the just the chaos inside my brain and trying to keep everything just straight. So it was just like, I can finally breathe. Now, it wasn't all like, woohoo, it's all good. No, no, no. Not a, no, it was, it was rough in there in the beginning, you know, but it's worked out. Well, we're really happy about that. I hear great things. I hear great, great things. Thank you. I wouldn't have had to hear if I hadn't. Who was, <laughs> where was the first place you started looking for help? Well, you know, I had I had robbed. I'm gonna say this: I robbed the the rooms of recovery, the twelve step rooms of recovery, for a long time. Yeah. But when when I finally when it finally all came crashing down, there was a fella that I knew who was a counselor. I told him, I said, I, I need help. I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jason, for sharing your recovery journey with us. I just wanted to know, um, as a person in long-term recovery, what was the hardest part of your recovery journey? And what would you like our listeners to know about how to support someone starting their recovery journey? Well, probably one of the hardest things was just the fear of change. I'm a fear-driven creature. Right. (laughs) Driven by fear, you know, in all shapes, forms, and sizes. And even though the thought of getting sober and not being in trouble anymore, not having to wonder what you did and go fishing for, what was that? I got to go fishing to find out what I said, what I did, you know, and all that. There was that fear of what is life going to be like if I don't have a solution because I didn't have an alcohol and drug problem. I had a Jason problem with alcohol and drug solution. That makes know? sense. I like, mm-hmm. yeah, right. I get that. that makes sense. So, you know, the alcohol, 
uh, it, it took care of things and, um, and the medications, you know, they took care of things. So the fear of change and really, you know, I've heard it said, um, until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change, we don't change. Right. So it had to get to that point, but, but that was probably the, the biggest hurdle because, you know, I, I said earlier, I'd played around and robbed recovery and, and, you know, went to the rooms and did the little dance, but the fear of actually changing and not having that solution anymore was probably one of the biggest hangups. And then, you know, thinking about for the listeners, you know, don't beat people over the head with what they already know. Okay? Good point. I like that. I mean, I was, I was, I was well aware. Nobody could kick Jason's rear end like Jason. Now, that may not seem like the truth because when you're on the outside looking in, you just and you want to grab people like me and just shake us to death. And you think, well, you're just having fun. It's just fun. You're having fun. You don't care about nobody but yourself. And and there was some of that, you know, early on. I'll give it that. But then when you get hung up in it, and you got those claws in you, them little hooks in you, it wasn't about fun. No, you know, it was about survival. And uh, that fight or flight that, you know, I've got to have this or I'm going to die. And, and even though that might not be reality, that was um, very real in, in me and in other folks. So, you know, we, we think like scared straight. We're going to scare it out of people, right? Right. We're going to put the fear of God in and we're going to scare it right out of them. That doesn't work either. Not so much. No. You know, and it, it kind of actually has the opposite effect many times and it pushes us further because, you know, I, I hated me. I hated, hated me, hated what I was doing, just hated the, the, the chaos and the drama and the people that were hurt. So, you know, not not beating people over the head with what they already know. Like I said, we're, we're fear-driven creatures. You know, we, we have this solution, and you start trying to to take it away. You know, what what is life going to look like without that solution? So while I, I, I do not advocate enabling people, no, no, don't say that Jason said enable people. No, there has to be. You know, there needs to be boundaries and, you know, there's consequences for things. But instead of always going at something like you're a hammer and it's a nail, maybe try to understand it, do some research on it. I mean, you know, I. Would you have talked about it if people wanted to talk about it at that time? No, I can't let you in. Right. Because number one, you might try to fix me. And that scares me too. I don't have, I don't really have a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people. Right. Right. So, um, because I don't do it all the time. So, um, yeah, just, you know, loving on people and, and meeting them where they are, getting support, the family members getting the support for themselves. I would you know. say that was probably, I'm glad you mentioned that that was yes. probably for us. The biggest help was when well, mom was ready to go. Yeah. She actually went to a place that insisted that the family also get, you know, right. have a, have some help and have some backup. So that was important. And, you know, I love I love working with families today probably as much as, as those that struggle with the addiction or experience addiction themselves. Because, you know, when they talk about being a family disease, often we're like, well, I don't, I don't drink. I don't do the drugs. Mm-hmm. You're the ones drinking and doing drugs. And it's like, hold on. You are in the eye of the storm with me. You're the one yeah. that's having to go behind and, and clean up all the mess or not clean up all the mess, but deal with the fallout. Absolutely. So, you know, that family support, because what happens oftentimes, you know, we, our families love us to death or help us to death mm-hmm. because they enable us. So getting that, um, you know, that education, getting that support for yourself, which is hard in and of itself, 
you know, just like me, you asked me if somebody would have asked me if I needed help. I can imagine for a, a family member, it's the same because there's just all this, all these questions. You know, where did I go wrong? What there's did a, I do? And wrong? there's a difference between, you know, what I went through, which was I got to fix my mom. You know, I'm right. like 17. Like I think I'm going to know how to fix anything. You know, right. you know, when she finally did go where she needed to go and get to the place where she needed to get to, it was her choice and her decision and her inspiration and her rock bottom. It wasn't right. anybody else's. Yeah, and that's, you know, <clears throat> that's another thing I tell. I tell families all the time, I'll get these calls that they say, um, you know, my son or my daughter needs help. The first thing I ask is, do they want help? Why are you calling instead of them? <laughs> and um, and I, I ask them, what are you doing for you? Because yeah. one of the one of the best things you can do sometimes to help if we're not ready and we're not in that place mm-hmm. is to get help for yourself. Because then, yeah. you know, they become like those little Al-Anon ninjas and they quit uh, quit co-signing our BS and, and covering up for us and, and make us get to that place where we're accountable. You know? yeah. and, and one right. of the things I tell folks all the time, I don't want to rob anybody of a bottom sufficient enough to bring about recovery. You know, That's brilliant. And it just, uh, we're done everybody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, you think about it. It's just like when we were kids, if, if somebody's always right there over top of us and every time we go to fall down and we never fall down and scrape our knees, you know, we're not going to, yeah. And I'm not trying to be ugly with that. I mean, I've I've lived it. And, I'm definitely uh, a rub some dirt on it kind of mom. Yeah. You'll be fine. Yeah, rub some dirt on it. When it's real serious, I'm there. Yeah. But unless it's real serious, you guys can figure it out on your own. And it, yeah. I think it helped my kids. Yeah. For sure. All right. Well, I've, I wanted to know something uh, a little bit more. I'm going to I'm gonna dig a little. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's always people that influence us in situations. So if you wouldn't mind to share with us, who are three people who have been the most influential to you during your recovery journey? Wow. Now this, this one's tough because you always feel like you're leaving people out mm-hmm. and there I are understand. so many people that, um, that have helped me through the years and along the way. But when I, when I think about three, I'm actually going to lump two together and we'll give you four. So That's I'm, the okay. one, I'm the one talking. So you got to let me do that. <laughs> but the first one, I'll go back to um, the fellow I was talking about a little while ago. The, the, the fellow that was the counselor, that helped me get into treatment. His name was Ted Morehouse, and um, he was an amazing man. He loved people in recovery, and he he had such a beautiful heart. You know, when I was at the worst place in my life and I was broken and I reached out to him, he made some phone calls, and um, and he made things happen. You know, I'll never forget, I had been um, in treatment about two weeks, and they, they let me know that he had had a stroke. Right before I got out, they let me know that he had passed away. And that, he has been a big, I'm not going to look at you because I'm not fixing to start bawling just yet. He has been a big inspiration and driver for me because I saw how he loved on folks and I try to do the same. And, and he loved on me and, and believed in me when I couldn't love and believe in myself. You know, my wife told me one time, she said, um, you know, that I might have been the last thing that God had on, on his list for him to do. So the best way that I can honor that is to, to carry a message of hope to others. I love that. Yeah. The second, I'm going to put two on you here, my wife and daughter. Mm. My wife, I, I, I'm going to try to get tore up here. But I don't know how she did it. You know, she is an amazing woman. And it's funny, I, I, we can joke now. At least it wasn't always funny. I'm just telling you, y'all. You, oh, I'm sure. Y'all lucky that I'm here because she don't play. 
But um, <laughs> mm. I like her more. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. I should get some tips. I'm telling you, she'll give them to you. But you know, we, I kind of joke with her today, and I said, you know, I had to make sure you're gonna stick. You know, through all the shenanigans. Then when she's stuck, I'm like, you got issues. Matter of <laughs> fact, you got the whole subscription, right? <laughs> And we say that a lot, and we laugh about it. I can't even. Yeah. It's hilarious. But, um, man, she she stuck. You know, I, I can remember I had one of those moments when I was in on holiday, on a 28-day holiday. <laughs> and I, I was laying there one night, and, and I thought, all right, self, we're going to be honest. And um, so if the shoe was on the other foot and she was acting out, would you be there when you got home? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Probably not. So, you know, I, I rolled out of bed, hit my knees, and I was like, all right, God, you've got this. I'm, I'm done fighting. And uh, But she she stuck with me and, and, and her and, and my daughter, you know, my wife Paula and my daughter Peyton. She, she's an inspiration to me. Uh, she's an amazing young lady. And just where she is, she's 15, just got her permit. She just, she just amazes me. She's a lot like her mom, and I'm going to give her mom most of the credit for uh, – she probably gets her clown from me. The clown is for me, but all the other good stuff she gets from my wife. She just, uh, she's an amazing young lady with a heart for the Lord, and she's, she's she loves people, and she marches to the beat of her own drum. She's not a follower. You know, I've always been a people pleaser and a follower and worried about what everybody else thinks, codependent, all that mess. I've got all that mess. So, so uh, she inspires you. Yes. Makes you feel like maybe right. you didn't mess it up so bad after all. Right. And, and through this journey of recovery, I mean, there's been some amazing things happen to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on my master's degree right now. I know. I voted yeah. for you, by the way. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. You mean for the, when I got the bachelor's? Absolutely. Yeah. I, oh, got, yeah. I had a free ride to King. Um, it was the coolest thing. I remember yeah. being on Facebook and uh, mom called me and she was like, Jason's on there and he's running for this this big prize yeah. and he's going to see if he can get a scholarship. So I was like, I'm definitely voting for him. So it I did. It's cool. a college dream scholarship yeah. to, to King. So it was a, a full ride. And, and I was blessed with some scholarships at, at Northeast State too. I can't say enough about Northeast State and King University. Just some amazing people that, that, that just really helped this old man along. Because, you know, when I started college, I was 41 years old, scared to death. You know, I'm a fear-driven creature. And they, they really helped me out. But, you know, all the while they have Paula and Peyton have been my my biggest cheerleaders and and support because you know this this journey it's not always easy no. you know it's not always unicorns with rainbow shooting at the rear end you know it's yeah. it's tough some days it can be harder on them sometimes than you right absolutely yeah we and talked about that in one of the podcasts I I'm sure I'd, I'd love to talk to your wife just because yeah. It's hard being that person because you, you oh, love yeah. somebody so deep. And my mom was mine, you know, and yeah. I loved her so much and love her so much. And just to be on the other, it's so confusing. It's a confusing right. place to be. You just it, don't really know what to do. And we talked about it, you know, in the years yeah. after when, when everything straightened out. And, you know, when you're in it and you're me, you're thinking, well, they don't care about me. No, that takes a lot of love to step back from somebody and detach with love. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing. So I'm I'm so blessed to have have those two ladies in my life, and then the third, fourth, whatever you want to call it, my sponsor, you know, in the, in the twelve step recovery. Um, this fella, he never co-signed my BS, <laughs> right? But he never like just beat me over the head like, oh, you've done it again, so I'm done with you. You know, never never gave up on me. Let me spew off all the silliness and mm-hmm. madness that was going on in my mind, and and just kind of let me find my way, and didn't. Take that bottom out from under me that was hard enough to bring about recovery, you know. So, 
those those folks right there and then there are so so many others i mean it, it would take me days just to to list all the folks that have that have been a key part of it i've got an amazing support network and some amazing we can just say you know sisters. what all you out there all you listeners that know right that know you know you know who you are thank yeah. you right absolutely all right so is there one common myth about recovery you want to debunk yeah one and done. When do we graduate from this thing, right? Yeah. You know, that's that I think that's and and for us who experience the addiction and the family members too, it's like uh so when are you gonna graduate? Right? Like when, it's when, over when you graduate. Yeah, when, when's this thing gonna be over? You know, really recovery is a lifetime process. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and that doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that you don't trust God. It doesn't mean that um, you know, you're weak. It's just, it's one of those things, you know, we are put here to help each other out. You know, we're not meant to do it alone. Right. So I just, I, I, I've i run into that a lot of times. And, and even back, thinking back to the beginning, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, how long is this going to last? Yeah. You know, so probably that probably would be the, the number one thing is that it's just, it's a, it's a. Ongoing. Yeah. It's a journey. It's every day. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same thing with, I had that myth, I guess I mentioned it when Polly was here and I remember my mom went to um, an inpatient 30 day program. And when she got home, we actually weren't on speaking terms at the time right. when she got back. So but, I love your mama, by the way. Oh, I know. Right. But when she got back, I thought, well, I guess she's fine now, you know, right. but I was still not because we have a hard time watching that person say I'm done and I'm okay. Right. Build that trust back and do whatever. So I watched her fight the hardest fight She's ever fought in her entire life for the next year to get me to call her on the phone and give her a chance. Yeah. So she did so much work for herself and just prayed that I would come around. And I did. And that's the best thing. That's why I say she's my hero. So yeah. it's really tough. So I have so much respect for those individuals that are in the recovery journey and are walking that recovery journey because there's no braver souls, in my opinion. Yeah. So, so I'm going to ask you another question if talking about stigma a little bit more and so how would you define stigma in regards to mental and behavioral health i think you know there's a lot of preconceived notions we have about stigma and mental health you know we see things on tv you've watched movies you see a lot of comedians um, there's things on the news things on social media and it seems like it's gotten gotten better or getting better over the last little bit, you know, I, I tell folks if there's if there's been anything good that's come from the opioid epidemic, it's that there's been enough folks that never touched a substance, they never drank, they never used um, used drugs, and they have an open heart surgery, and they get put on a medication for a length of time, and at the end of it, you know, all folks are probably going to experience some type of withdrawal, mm-hmm. but some folks there's a switch that gets flipped, and when that switch gets flipped. They're like, what's what's this? You know, I've got to have more of this. Yeah. And, um, it definitely doesn't discriminate. No, it doesn't discriminate. And so I think with that, well, we, we've had folks that have been affected and families, more more people are starting to, to view it as a as a disease than it is. Agreed. And and when I when I call it a disease, when I talk about addiction as a disease, I'm not trying to make excuses for my behaviors. I'm responsible for my behaviors. But it, it kind of helps explain why folks would go back time and time and time again, you know, doing the same thing, expecting different results. Right. 
Well, how about you? I would love to know, um, can you share with us maybe a time you personally experienced stigma and how that affected you and your recovery? Probably when I think about where I am now and, and since I went into this, this role as a peer recovery specialist in Lifeline, I mean, part of what we do is share our experience, strength, and hope. We tell our story. So, you know, I've gotten to the place where I'm like, you know, I don't run up and down the road and say, woohoo, I'm the recovery man, but I don't care. You know, I don't care what people think. You know, looking back before folks really knew what was going on with me, you know, it seemed like there were some times where, you know, comments might have been made about those people or people, you know, drunks and addicts and everything else that it kind of made me, instead of want to open up, it made me close, close up more. Yeah. Um, because, you know, again, having been in, in the law enforcement realm and in the, in the, the military, you know, they just don't talk about certain things. You're supposed to supposed to overcome them and just suck it up and go on. You're not supposed to have those problems. So for you or for those you've worked with that are experiencing mental illness, how would you describe to our listeners what stigma looks like? Well, people treating you different. Yeah. All right. It's, it's almost like sometimes folks kind of look at you like, yeah, don't get too close. That might rub off on me. Yeah. Right. Or treating you like you're you're fragile or that you're broken goods. You know, I I am who I am. Mm-hmm. I've done what I've done. You know, I don't need I don't need you like having kid gloves on me. You know, because sometimes that's that's condescending. It can be condescending. Right. And sometimes, you know, there's a lack of trust. If if folks know that, that stigma around that lack of trust. Or, you know, sometimes there's a fear that they're gonna overload. It's like, well, we we can't say this or we can't do this or we can't talk about that. Because they think because you're going to break down. Or they think you're going to break down. You know, and, and I, I get that. Again, fear is the common element that we're talking about here. You know, fear, of they're, they're old. Is, is he going to go back off the rails and be back out here again using or drinking and, and things like that? Right. So that that's, when we're talking about stigma, that's a, a big, big place where I see is just, and, you know, it, it goes along with we need to think about what we're doing out here drive by a lot of a lot of 12-step meetings are held at churches you know and when you drive by a church on a tuesday night or a thursday night when they're not having a service and well guess whose car i saw over to church house on a tuesday night or a thursday night you yeah know? so just stigma in that so jason do you think that stigma associated with mental and behavioral health conditions is worse for men women or both and like why well i think you know both have struggles and I don't know that one is any more so than others, you know, but, but speaking from a man's perspective, because uh, I'm not a female, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. So, you know, but speaking from a man's perspective. Not with that beard anyway. Right. <laughs> I know that, you know, the things that I've experienced, again, like I said earlier, you know, talking about the big line, the stoicism, and, you know, suck it up, go on as part of it. You know, if you feel anything, you know, you're, you're not a man, you're a sissy. So, you know, I, I can't really say because I'm, you know, I can only speak from my perspective. I gotcha. So as a man, I know it can be tough for us sometimes to admit we need help, especially concerning addiction men, and mental health issues. Do you have advice for men out there listening who are maybe too embarrassed to get help? Sure. Through the years and through the struggles, the thing that I have learned is the strength is in the surrender. Yeah. All right. When I surrendered to it, and realized, you know, that um, I was a sick man that needed to get well. I wasn't a bad man trying to be good. The strength was in the surrender. You know, and, and telling the fellas out there, you're not alone. 
again, going back to stoicism and, you know, suck it up, go on as part of it. I mean, that's the way a lot of us were raised up. Yeah, no, not, that's how I was. Yeah. And you're not alone. You know, there's there's other fellas out there that are that are going through things. And I'll tell you probably one of the one of the coolest, best things I've heard throughout this recovery journey. And mm-hmm. when you can get your head around this little nugget right here, it's golden. It's none of my business what other people think of me because I can't change people, places, and things. Right. So I don't That's need great. to let them. They don't need to be renting space for free in my head. If they're going to be up there, they're going to pay rent today. Yeah. You know, now earlier, before before everything is like it is now, I worried about it and I didn't want to reach out, but the strength is in the surrender. What do you want men out there uh, struggling with these mental health conditions to know about getting that help? Man, I just want them to know that recovery is possible. Whether you're struggling with substance, struggling with mental health issues, recovery is possible, and there is a better way of life. You know, it's not all peaches and cream. Right. But it's a whole lot better than what I had before. Now, we talk about the negative consequences of stigmatizing people with mental illness. So what would you recommend our community of listeners to do today to make an immediate impact on the stigma? Investigate the facts for yourself. Turn off the news. Get off social media and do some digging. You know, literacy is key. Learning, educating yourself about, you know, we can hear, we all have biases. Right. We hear things and we're like, oh, that's the gospel because it was online um, or it was on the news or what have you. Do some research for yourself. You know, don't trust anybody. You know, find out for yourself. Do For multiple sources, too. Multiple sources yeah. and make sure they're credible sources because, you know, confirmation bias. We can go out here and find whatever we want to fit our agenda. I can go out here and find whatever I want to make it make it say what I want it to say. It's kind of like statistics. Right. You can manipulate them numbers to say whatever you want them to say. But go out there, research, find journals, you know, things that are credible. Talk to people that's experienced Talk it. to people that have lived experience. Man, that right there, it's, um, it's worth its weight in gold. One last question. All right. I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> Boom. Now we can drop the mic. Now we're done. All right. <laughs> You're too much. If you could step into our shoes on this podcast, what would you have asked yourself that we didn't? How long you been growing that beard? <laughs> that was my next question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think we've pretty much covered it. You know, we covered the nuts and bolts. I mean, again, we could get down into to nitty gritty, and you always leave these things thinking, "Man, I should have said this, or they should have." You know, what if they'd have asked that? And I think that it went exactly the way it's supposed to go. I can't think of um, of anything off the top of my head that I would have asked different. And I, right. and I, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be here and, and, and to be of service because y'all have kept me out of me for the last little bit, and, and hopefully we've had a good time. <laughs> I've had, had a great, great time, time. Yeah. yeah. And we said that in a second. <laughs> we're having such a good time. We're in, we're in sync. We're in sync. That's <laughs> good. Well, well, thank you very much for your time, and Jason, and we're – Delighted you came to visit with us and had this great, important conversation. Absolutely. It was really great. And I just think that um, I've been, I feel enlightened for yeah. sure. Well, so for our all. listeners, though, I will say you all are here too with us. Even, you know, right now I think about that. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all of our listeners out there that are listening to our podcast and keeping up with us. You know, we want to hear from you guys. So if you guys have some questions or some topics or anything, we would absolutely love for you to leave some information in the comments or ask a question. So make sure to subscribe and ask 
you know, send us some stuff and some new topics. And absolutely, one more time, because I can't help it, thank you so much for being here, Jason. Oh, thank you all. It's been a blessing. And how long did it take you to grow your beard that way? How long do I have? Is it I like is it like a Tootsie Roll pop? The yeah, world no, will never know. <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't shaved shaved in probably it's probably been seven and a half years. I got a while. But um, there was a few times that I went to decide I was going to trim it on my own. And mm-hmm. I gapped it and uh, I did that. Yeah, four months ago and right. had to shave the whole thing off. Right. So this so, is where I'm at now. Yeah, don't mess with it. Just leave it alone. But um, but I, I think it's as long as it's going to get. And it's all about the product. You got to you got to have product and. Uh, and and everything. So get that beard I'm tickled. Process. I'm tickled to hear a man say you got to have product for your it's beard. All about, listen, you ask my wife. I'm all about. She tell you I got more product than her and Peyton put together. I have quite a few beard oils. Yeah, it's important. I it didn't is. know that. I, I have like, a beard wow, comb. Beard oil is yeah. important. Maybe that's I our learned. next podcast. Is beard oil. Beard, beard, what beard, beard oil do you use? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, you guys. We just want to say thanks again for listening to Impact Stigma, and um, we hope you will join us next time. Stigma can make mental health problems worse and even stop a person from getting the help they need. Untreated mental illness places an enormous economic and emotional burden on our communities. Economic burden alone is in the billions and that directly affects all of us. We all play a crucial role in creating a mentally healthy community, one that is inclusive, rejects discrimination, and supports recovery. For us at Impact Stigma, this is way more than just a podcast. It is about igniting our communities, sharing our stories, and working together with listeners like you. We invite you to find out more about Impact Stigma on our website at impactstigma.com. One way you can make an impact right now is by sharing our podcast with your friends and family because you never know when something we talk about might be the reason someone you love asks for help. Mental illness is not a personal failure. We can't do this without you. So if you feel inspired to get involved, first, subscribe to this podcast. Then go visit our website at impactstigma.com. Watch the video and read about how you can become an impact maker. Thank you for listening to Impact Stigma. You're so glad you chose us. We want to thank our guests again for sharing your impactful story and doing your part to Impact Stigma. Join us next time as we enjoy some laughs and hear impactful stories. Until then, this work needs you. So go be an impact maker. Thank you and be blessed.